Well, as you uh, settle back in, I'm going to work our way back through like maybe two minutes of review, just in case you weren't here last week. Uh, I'm not, you know, last week we introduced this new name, uh, Maranatha, and really I got into a bunch of reasons, not all of the reasons, it wasn't an exhaustive message, but a number of reasons to why we feel like that name matters, and so if you want to know the why behind the what, go back and, you know, listen to that message. I'm not going to uh, go back over it or continue to go into whys. I'm going to break down, get, get into the, maybe the little bit more boots on the ground, like how does it matter to us here. But I do just want to say, if you did miss last week, um, that there is this word, Maranatha, that we are, well, that's the way we pronounce it. I don't think that's the way it was, it was pronounced, um, that is really a phrase, an Aramaic phrase that could be translated a number of different ways, really more than three ways uh, that could be translated. Uh, And we bring the word Maranatha into the English as, from our perspective, for a whole variety of reasons. One of the reasons that I love is that I think it it, kind of grounds us in our Israelogy that we that we believe that there is something uh, deeply embedded in the, God's covenantal purposes for this people. And so I love that we, uh, we could have just named our, our church uh, the Lord is coming church or the Lord has come church or come Lord church, but we actually use the, the word literally. And it's, you know, there are all kinds of words that we, that we translate literally instead of the idea like hallelujah. And we, it's become so common in our, in our parlance that we, we don't have to have much explanation. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. So we could just say, sometimes we say praise the Lord, but sometimes we just say hallelujah, amen, is a Hebrew word uh, that is, you know, we don't, you know, say, hey, end of the prayer. We say amen, um, or we say agreement with that word. And so I'm thrilled that we're using this word. And as we said last week, the, the Maranatha word has four A's in it. The third A depending whether you slide it to the right or the left, makes a difference. If you slide it uh, so it's uh, Maran Atha or Maran Atha, uh, then it would mean the past, you know, more of a past consideration, the Lord has come. It would be looking back on uh, a past action with ongoing, you know, implications. So the Lord has come, and because the Lord has come, all these things have changed, and if you slide the A the other way, so it's Marana, Tha, then it's, it's a future consideration. Come, Lord, as a command or as a, or as a prayer, you know, uh, Lord, come. And it is, or as Rich said so eloquently, it is the in-between, the liminal space that we embrace uh, now that, we, that we're in between this place. And I, I wonder whether there's any better name. Now, that's really the, the message that I have today is, if I put it in question form, is there a better name? Is there a better word to describe our cry, our heart, where we are, where we live in this, in this day and age? Um, and, and I, I want to unpack this through a variety of scriptures. I've, got a, I've just got tons of verses. I don't have all of them. They're going to show up on the screen. I, I'll say this to you, that our, our vision verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where we love you so much, we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, is the same verse that we've, that we've had since the beginning. And, it, and I believe this concept of Maranatha is embedded deeply within this word. You know, that, that, it, that when we say that we're delighted to share 
the gospel and our lives that we are getting at the idea of asking the Lord, the God, you know, that we're asking the Lord to come and invade every venue, every, every avenue that we, that, we, that we move through in our lives. And so, um, but I want to get at this in a, a little deeper way. I want to talk about it. I, I've, I've thought a lot this week about what it would have meant to have been in that early church, in that first group of people uh, who've ever, whoever had to kind of evaluate for themselves what it meant to follow Jesus and how this word might have been, in, you know, come into such prominence for them as a watchword and as a password. A lot of people believe that Maranatha replaced Shalom um, as, as a greeting because of its, it seems more, it seems more inclusive to, to the Gentiles. Um, but let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into this. Jesus, give us hearts to hear. Give us uh, a desire to, to, to know you more. I pray that you'd start with my heart, that you'd start with my mind, that you would give me a clarity, and that you would give us a, uh, a longing, as I prayed earlier through the fellowship, break, a longing to know you more as we, as we hear your word declared. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So these, these guys walk with Jesus, even the ones who walk closest with them, like uh, James and, and John and Peter, uh, they walk with him and they have this, this intimate connection with him. In fact, I'm going to unpack this in a bit, but the word fellowship uh, means it, 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 it is so intimate I hesitate to even use one of the words, but you go look up fellowship and look at some of the words that are used to describe it. It, it can even sort of refer to a word we use for sexual intimacy. It is, it is, it is, it is incredible proximity. It's incredible sharing. It's incredible connection of our lives. And these guys who are so close to Jesus that, I mean, there's no one who knows him more as they're walking with him really don't get it as they're walking with him. Jesus is telling them repeatedly what his life is all about and what he's going to do and where he's come from and where he's going. I believe that these guys hear Jesus repeatedly, essentially, pray Maranatha. You know, he's either pronouncing the fact that he has come, the king has come, the kingdom is here, you know, in him, or he's connecting to his father in these lonely places through this deep fellowship of intercession to say, come, father, come, you know, come kingdom. You know, pour yourself out on, on this place and on these people. And they just don't get it. They repeatedly are, are confused by what Jesus is doing. In fact, Jesus goes up on a mountain and he's transfigured so that he, he essentially enters into a place of glorification that I believe is like what Moses saw on Sinai in, in a, in a, in a, when he could just, in the cleft of the rock, and the glory of God passes, these guys see Jesus glorified, transfigured. And Jesus says to them, you know, you know of course, they don't want to leave. Peter's like, hey, we'll just camp here. I mean, why wouldn't you? And Jesus says, no, we're going back because I got to go and get killed. I got to die. And then a, three days later, I'll be, you know, rise again. And it says they get discussed that amongst themselves because they had no clue what he's talking about. I mean, we can, we can be hard on them, but think about it. If you'd never experienced death and resurrection before, even if it had been prophesied as a messianic promise, what would you do with that declaration from this one that you love who's with you that I'm, I'm going to be crucified, 
and then I'll come back all three days later. What would you do with that? They had no grid. They had no place to understand it. And so Jesus would say over and over again, this is what I'm getting ready to go and do. And they, ah, they don't get it. And so it's not until they get a taste of post-resurrection Jesus that they know what he's talking about. And once they lay hold of that, once they, you know, Jesus invites them to plunge their hand into his wounds and to see this is the wounded one. This is the one that was prophesied about in Isaiah, but he's also this messianic figure that, who, who proclaimed he was God. And, they, and, and Peter said, you know, I said up there at, at, at Benias or, or Caesarea Philippi, I, I said you were the one, but now I really know you're the one because your wounds are real and you're really alive and you can pass through walls and I've never seen a body like this one. Like, so finally they begin to get it and now they can say with some sort of clarity they'd never had, Maranatha, the Lord has come. This is really him. He's come and he's conquered death and he can, all this stuff we saw him do when he healed people is great, but it's actually junior to what his ultimate power is, which is power over death. And that gives us something to hope for. I mean, that's, we can look back on that and if that's all we ever get, we now have hope. Right? And just as soon as they get used to the significance of having this resurrected man with them so that, you know, that their lives were like, man, Jesus, it was cool walking with you when you were, before you got crucified, but now that you're resurrected, it's really cool. You pass through walls and, you know, you're, you're, you're the coolest guy ever. Don't ever leave us. And he says, no, I, I, I told you, and, and I, I let you know, you know, I, I gathered together and gave you like, John 14, 15, 16, and 17. <laughs> I gave you what we call the farewell discourse to let you know that I was leaving and why I needed to leave and why it was good for me to leave. And so now I'm going to leave. And he says, wait, and then power will come to you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And, and then, you know, the, 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 the guys behind the scenes start to, you know, raise the ropes and he goes up through the, the roof. And they're saying, what are they saying as soon as they see him go? Come back, Lord. Maranatha, come, Lord. And it begins to impact, as Rich said, it's the, we have this past truth, and we have this future hope that I'll touch on in just a second, but it begins to impact their present in a way that's unlike anything you've ever seen. Jesus essentially says to them, I've got to leave. And so when, if you went, I went, Carol and I went to a, a, a play last night, and if in the first five minutes of the play the main character is, like, killed and gone, you'd be like, oh, this is, you know, I, I, you know what's the point? I mean, I kind of liked that figure. And so you get into the first chapter of Acts and Jesus is gone. You go, man, there's 28 chapters, you know, of this. He's gone. I liked him. And so you kind of expect that, you know, well, now it's going to be boring because Jesus is gone. But yet you see these people who've now, who've now grasped who he is and Jesus says, it's better for me to leave. And so all of a sudden you've got guys who are beginning to operate out of his authority as though he were there. Well, I mean, maybe you're not following me. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 3. Uh, Peter and John are strolling up to the temple to pray. And uh, they're coming up probably through, maybe from Bethany or, or from the, from the, through the Kidron Valley up into the beautiful gate that has been so um, hideously covered up for now but someday will be, will be reopened. And 
they come strolling through this gate, and there's this beggar on, that's just sitting there on the ground asking for money. And, you know, they, they could do what we do, what maybe good Jews of the day would have done. They could say, um, prove to me you're worth it. Um, or I, I believe you're just really scamming me that you really don't need gas money to get your kids to the hospital. Um, they could have they given them a few shekels. There's all kinds of options they could have done. But when they're faced with the first opportunity to actually live into the Maranatha truth that, you know, the Lord has come, and he's given us proper access to his attributes and his nature by virtue of using his name the right way, the first opportunity they have to do something with it, this is what they say. They say, hey, we don't really have any money. We're, look at us. We're unschooled and ordinary. We're fishermen. We're, we're, we're dudes from the Galilee. We're not really Jerusalemites. We're not temple elite. We're ragtag. We don't have anything to give you, but we do have, we give you, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What does the guy do? He gets up and he walks and it creates such a stir because this guy who everybody's seen forever, you know, begging at the beautiful gate is now up on his feet walking around telling people what's been done for him in the name of Jesus and so much so that it stirs up a crowd and gets Peter and John arrested, brought before the Sanhedrin. And when Peter and John are, are brought before the Sanhedrin and they're, you know, they, and they're, they're asked this question, you know, um, they're, they're basically told, you know, don't do this anymore. You're, you're, you're stirring up the crowd. You're rabble-rousers, and we don't really like what happens. When you, and, and by the way, how'd you do that? By what power or by what name did you do this? Good question, right? Imagine you're able to pray for somebody today when you're walking into Walmart who's laying there, and you say, you know, I don't really have anything to give you, but in the name of Jesus, arise and walk, and they get up, and people see him get up and walk. They don't really hear what you said, and they go, man, how'd you do that? Don't you think the world would like to know? Don't you think that, that that's the sort of thing people like to know? And these guys who are the, the rulers who don't want to lose control, they definitely want to know how it's done because they don't want to lose what they've gotten. So they say, by what power, by what name? And, the, and this is what Peter says, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, <laughs> beautiful response. If, you wanna, if you're going to basically get us in trouble because we did something kind, shown to a cripple, and you're asked to know how he was healed, then know this. You and everyone in Israel know this. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. In other words, they say, the Lord has come, and he's still here. Even though he went up on that mountain, he's going to come back someday. When we use his name properly, it is though he's still here himself. And so... They get released. Um, they say, hey, you know, let these guys go. And then they go back and they pray with their community. They go into the fellowship of their community. And, and then their community says, man, we got to really get our hearts right. We got to make sure we're, this is going to be difficult. This world we're living in now has changed because we have this mandate from Jesus to go and make disciples and to, and to see the world change wherever we go. And if we're going to do it, we're going to get in trouble. And so they gather together and they pray. And this is what they, it's, they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What would you call that prayer in a word? 
I'd call it Maranatha. <laughs> They're saying, stretch out your hand. Come into this situation. And, and by the power of your name, do, deal with what's going on. And it says in verse 31, chapter 4, after they prayed this prayer, the place where they were meeting, where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What did they pray for? That, they, that God would empower them to speak the word boldly and that they would have signs and wonders. What do they get? Signs and wonders, and they speak the word boldly. And so there's this present operating reality where all of a sudden it's not just something that happened in the past where they can go, hey, there's this legend of this guy who died and, 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 and satisfied God's wrath so that you could have a right relationship with him and righteous relationship because, he, because of his death on the cross. But they're saying their kingdom is actually operative now. You can access this by proper use of his name. My favorite story about how this can go wrong is all the way into Acts chapter 19 when these seven sons figure, hey, this is pretty cool. They see, they, they heard about Paul who's going around healing people, even like handkerchiefs and things like that that he has or, you know, or the shadow of Peter passes by and people get healed. And they're like, man, this is really cool. People dig this. People will pay money for this. It can be monetized. And so they, they find this guy that's possessed with a demon and they say, hey, in the name of Paul, who proclaims things in the name of Jesus, come out. The demon comes out and beats the crud out of these seven sons of Sceva. says, we know that who Jesus is and we know who Paul is, but we don't, who the heck are you? And you can see that this is not a, this is not a thing to be trifled with, this Maranatha cry, this, this, this reality of, 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 it, of it being operative in the present isn't something we can just throw out like it's an uh, abracadabra. There is a proper access to this name that comes through proper relationship. And so it has past implications, present implications. And it also, as Rich said so beautifully, becomes the, 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 the ground zero of hope for this, for, this, for this community of people. Paul says it this way in Titus 2. He says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. He's saying because he came and because he did what he did, it gives us the authority and the power to live good lives now while we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope becomes this indelible focus in the early church on this future coming when Jesus is going to return and make all things right. I believe that we have right access to the kingdom now and that we can, we, that we should be proclaiming uh, uh, you know, the, the reality of the kingdom and seeing the effects of the kingdom now. But at the same time, it's not fully here yet. I heard our friend Stephanie say this. I would paraphrase her, her thing. I, about, I don't know how many years ago now, seven or eight years ago on Christmas Day, I broke my leg horribly. I have a plate in my leg, right? I have this plate that goes from here to here. It hurts all the time. I love to run. I've always loved to run and do, you know, athletic kind of thing. I can't do that anymore. I can't run without a lot of pain. If this is the best it's going to ever get, I have no hope. I have hope, though, that someday Jesus is coming to restore this leg so that I'll run without getting weary. You know, I'll be able to, I'll be more athletic. I'll be able to compete like I've never competed before. I have hope, a blessed hope that he's coming soon to restore everything that's broken. And so this Maranatha cry is past, present, and future. Do you see it? 
And so what I want to focus on then, I, I want to land in this meal. That's where we're going to land uh, today. And we're going we're gonna to see how the early church so loved this, this call that it, that, it, that it made it the invocation for this meal. But really, my, my heart is, is, in this is that we would, this is the phrase I've heard as I've been praying all week, build a fellowship of hope. Build a fellowship of hope. That, that, that what I believe God is doing in construction that's in the unseen reel. We built a building for a year and a half that you can now see, but in, in, in the unseen reel, the part that's just as real as a building you can see, but you don't see with your eyes, it's in, in the spiritual realm. God is constructing a fellowship of hope, a place where, where, where we can actually hope for all things that he would, ha- that he would do. And uh, I want to break it down this way. I, I, um, at the conference that Carol and Brian and I were at, um, the guy who, who leads FAI, uh, Dalton Thomas, spent some time differentiating between community and fellowship. And, and I want to do the same thing because I would say this to you, that, that Maranatha isn't just our name, it's our aim. It's, you know, the come Lord cry of our heart separates communities from fellowships. And, I, and I'll break that down for you um, in, in a couple ways. I'm not going to get into this much today because next week I believe Brian is going to preach and bring this down to a boots on the ground way and really get into maybe your, into your personal space and talking about how this matters. But I'll give you some high level ideas of I think how it matters. A community um, is something that any, you can, you, you can, how many of you live in a community? How many, how many of you have your hands down? You, you know, you live in community, right? I mean, you don't live here in this church. You go home to some place. Maybe you live in an isolated house in the woods like we do, so it doesn't feel like community every day. I always say if a kid comes over to our house Halloween, I'm giving him 100 bucks. If he has the courage to come across that bridge and knock on that door. Um, not you kids. No, none of you. It has to be on Halloween. But, you know, you go, you go home and you live in a certain place and you... Some of your places are even known as communities, right? Maybe it's in the tagline, the advertisement of, you know, of where you live. And, and you hear us talk about, even in the political realm, building communities, safe communities, better communities, communities of, you know, where, there's, where there's growth and where there's, 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 there's promise for children and all these sorts of things. But here's the deal. A community is something that the world can take part in. The world has access to community, right? And communities... Are, are largely based in a couple of things. From an individual perspective, I want community because I want a place where I can have good self-esteem and I don't want to be bored. I want to, I want to join into something where I'm not bored, where I'm entertained. You know, I can come and do something uh, with other people who are either interested in the same thing I am on Tuesdays and Thursdays or Monday, Wednesday, Friday or Saturday morning at the soccer field, uh, you know, and... and, and you know, I want to I want to join something that all people can join with me, and we'll feel good about ourselves together, and it'll entertain me. Community offers that, but fellowship is something more. It, it, it takes all of the beauty and the value of community, and it just ups it a little bit. I will. Can I? Can I? Can I give you a little insight into my heart? I really miss the word fellowship in our name. It's the thing that I've grieved the most in terms of our name and uh, in, in, in leaving that word behind because I think it is such a deep word that we've, we, we've lost, that we can lose sight of. And, and 
what fellowship is, it's something that the world cannot take part in. This is how it's different from community. I mean, we can all, the, you, know, the, you know, everyone in the world is, invi- is invited into this global community, but not everyone in the world is invited into global fellowship. Fellowship is something that, that, that is that's separated. Our fellowship, you look at 1 John 1. I think I might have it up here, 1 John 1 and 2. But you, you look at this, just this one little passage of four verses, and you can see where John begins to unpack for the early church what it means to be in, in this this deep sense of, 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 of the Greek word is koinonia. And he says this, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Concerning the word of life, Jesus, the life was made manifest, made real, something we could see, and we have seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. The fellowship is different. The fellowship that John is articulating here is first and foremost, fellowship with the Godhead. Fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They had fellowship before they created Before the world existed, they had fellowship. They didn't need to create so that they could have a community. They had community. They had fellowship with each other. They decided it was necessary. It was right to express their love in in the creation of humanity. And we get invited into this fellowship with them. Fellowship is not like community in that it involves necessarily the Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit, when when you're in fellowship with them, it's qualitatively different. It's also, as John says, it happens in the body. It happens in a group of believers. You, you know, you, we can invite people. Even, I even think of our small group context and how beautiful small groups are as a place, a, a, sometimes a safer place depending on the personality for somebody to enter into life with God. Sometimes it's less threatening than, than worship, although in many cases, particularly when our church growth movement decided to make churches like movie theaters and made them black and dark so you couldn't see anything, then you could sneak into a church and sneak out and nobody would ever know. A small group, you might kind of sort of get seen. But in many cases, a small group in a home with a meal seemed like a safer place for people. And so you can invite somebody who's not a believer into your small group, but when they see the fellowship part take root, they're going to recognize, man, there's something happening there that's different, qualitatively different than what, than what I have. And so it includes the body. It has to happen in the light. It, you know, fellowship, in, it, 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 it has to be embedded in truth, in light, in life. It can't, you can't fellowship around you can't have demonic fellowship. You can't have uh, fellowship that's based in error or heresy. You can't have fellowship that's based in... Because fellowship's also in the Word. The center part of our fellowship is the truthfulness, the, the efficacy of the Word, the, 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 the fact that the Word can, can fill us and feed us. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there because I don't want to get hung up there. For the early church... And for this, this Maranatha invitation into something that was deep. And you see it all throughout the book of Acts. As the church gets it right, as the fellowship gets it right, it says something like this, God added to their number. You know, they become multicultural. It says God adds to their number. They become, they fix a problem that exists between the Greek-speaking Hebrew widows and the Hebrew-speaking Hebrew widows. And they fix that problem. And the Lord, you know, releases something in these, in, in, when, they, when they get it right. And the central thing that they did to celebrate 
fellowship in the depths of who they are is they ate food. The central thing they did. The centerpiece of fellowship is meals. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a crazy notion. Um, it's a crazy notion, you know, that I, if, you, if you struggle at all with, with what it means to sit around a table. How many of you grew up in a family that really embraced the table? How many of you grew up in families that you didn't? It just wasn't part of who you were. You kind of, yeah, I mean, if you really kind of, here's the thing that I know. I miss my dad the most at dinner time because my dad was never more alive than at the table, right? Something just came alive in him in terms of the way he could articulate a thought and, you know, and we could, we could argue and love each other and all. But, you know, something happens that makes us even vulnerable at the table. People open up at the table. The table is a place where, where in, in the early church, I mean, Jesus models this. Uh, some people have said that you can simply define the gospel as, as Jesus eating good food with bad people. And there's a sense in which Jesus loved to get around the table. And in the early church, this, be, this was such a centerpiece of what they did that, that, again, you see arguments being having to be settled about how they would do this. And Paul has to write significant amounts of Scripture to correct you know, ways with, where this isn't happening right. And the actual word that we use when, what's one of the words we call we call this the lord's supper we call this eucharist we call this communion and the word communion that we use is the word greek word koinonia fellowship that actually what this is is this is an invitation to fellowship with the lord to 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 have this something that's so deeply intimate that it actually that, that his body and blood become part of who we are in this celebration. That it's an invitation to something, you know, extremely deep. And so the early church would have this thing. They had one thing. And it was, it was this big meal. And it was known by different names like the agape feast or the love feast. And, and it, it was not a separate thing from this, this meal. It was one thing. So they'd gather around the table and they would have this massive feast and, and, and everybody was supposed to be fed so that everybody was well fed. And then in the middle of this meal was the Eucharist, the great Thanksgiving, the Lord's Supper. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. And it was all part of one big meal. And over time, because there were problems with the love feast and there were problems with the way it was being done or not done right, they began to separate it and they made the, 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 the Eucharist, the communion table, the, the Lord's Supper liturgical and separate informal and part of a worship service. I love the fact that it's part of a worship service. I think it's a a fantastic thing for us to do. I think it should be a central part of our worship. I wish we did it every week. But I actually think that part of what the Lord's calling us to in fellowship is that this would become a normative meal for us in our homes, in our gatherings, when we come together. There was a thing that we did a few years back that I'm really hoping, I have great hope because of someone I've talked with that it'll be revived. Back then, we called it Simply Supper, where we just basically offered the opportunity for you to go to somebody's house, probably somebody you don't know, and to sit down around a table and have a meal and just get to know each other. Now, I personally love the idea of these not being Simply Supper, but being Maranatha Meals. 
like the idea of there being this, this, this place where we come, and the one expectation we have when I come into somebody's home, I go, hey, I'm going to go, you know, hang out at the, the Smith Steenowitz's house. And, and the Smith-Steenowitzes invited us over. I never even met them. I don't know them. And so I don't know what their house is going to look like. I don't know what they're going to serve for dinner. I don't know whether there's going to be, they're going to play some worship music. I don't know whether Mr. Smith-Steenowitz can play the guitar or not. I have no idea what it's going to look like. But the one expectation I have is, is that Jesus is going to be there, that the Lord's going to be there, that he's going to be invited into this place, that he's going to come into this place, that the thing that we cry when we come together is I pray, I go, Lord, tonight, when I get ready to drive over to their house, Maranatha, come, invade that place. Let me sense your presence. Let us be encountered by you there. Let us be changed because we've been there. I don't want to just go have another meal and have community. I don't want to just go not be bored. I can sit home and binge watch Netflix. You know, I can do all kinds of things. But I want something there that I can't get anywhere else. I want something that is intimate and deep and invites you into my life. How many of you long for that? Something more. Something, I mean, some of you probably wouldn't raise your hand because if you have, some of you are bold, and I love it. I mean, I, those of you who raise your hand, I know exactly where you're coming from. You're like, you know what, I'm, I don't care, I'm done. I want it. If it's out there, I want it. But some of you maybe are a little different place in the journey where you're going, which I have done many times in my life, enough, Lord. <laughs> I don't really know if I want more because usually what happens is this. More of you means less of me. I don't really know if I want to die to some of the things that would have to die if I, if I lived in the light with brothers and sisters who really knew my life. I don't know if I really want that. I'm telling you, Fellowship of Hope is a place where in spite of the things that you struggle with the greatest, the community of people that gather around you in the name of Jesus and hope with you for the best that God has for your life. And so we're going to close this message this day with, with a meal. Brian assures me that this Kool-Aid-looking substance is actually grape juice. It's the lightest grape juice ever, isn't it? Apparently it's organic. And so it's... Uh, it's maybe plasma, you know, the purified blood of Jesus. But the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the communion table, in the, in the early days, uh, it wasn't long after Jesus had died. By the time we get like 500 years into the church, this celebration had become predominantly a remembrance of his death. Paul gets at that. You know, it, it almost became predominated by just a remembrance of what he'd done for us. But this was not how the early church embedded this meal into their, into their life. This meal was embedded into the life of the church with a twofold purpose. Number one, when they said in the, in the meal, let me read this to you again. This was the invocation the early church used. Let grace come and let this world pass away. Hosanna to the son of David. If anyone is holy, let him come to the Eucharist. If anyone is not, let him repent. Maranatha. Amen. That's how they prayed for this meal. And when they said Maranatha, they were praying two things. Number one, they were saying, Lord, let your presence come into these elements so that as we partake of them, 1 Corinthians 10 says, 
didn't we have one participation? That word is koinonia, one fellowship in the, in the, in the, the bread, one fellowship, one participation in the cup. And, and what they're praying, Maranatha, is they're saying, Lord, let your presence somehow mysteriously come into these elements so that when we ingest them, we have fellowship with you intimate, deep fellowship with you that changes us, that causes us to, to, to run from our sin and run to you. But when they say Maranatha, amen, one of the, the primary thing they mean is it's a focus on the eschaton. It's, they're saying, Lord, come soon. Come soon so that this becomes the primary banquet. This is a snack. Come soon and set up a banqueting table before us in the presence of our enemies. <laughs> 